of the soldier who put a spear through Christ's side on the cross and by some accounts broke his legs, whose name was Longinus. It is said that after he had trouble sleeping and fell into a hard mood, drifted out of the army and came west as far as Provincia, was a body's carbon not simply carbon, jab hook jab. Slight shift and we catch him in a moment of expansion and catastrophe, white arms sporting strangely in a void. Uppercut jab, jab, hook jab, don't want to bore you, my troubles jab, jab jab, punch, hook, jab. Was a face not all still as dew in April, hook, jab jab. Hello and welcome to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This week's poem is Shadow Boxer by Anne Carson and is the first episode of a special two-parter on the poet's work. The second part will be available next week. This poem comes from Carson's collection, Men in the Off Hours. The assembled poems are used to analyse masculinity in every form that Anne Carson has encountered it, in the on hours and, as the title says, in the off hours. She makes many small observations about how men are. There is the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, feminine masculinity, patriarchal time, men in grief and men in anger. Today's poem is a combination of those last two. It would be a lie for me to claim that I understood every single poem in that collection. I'm not sure anyone understands all of Carson's work. She is, after all, considered a poet's poet. Someone who is lauded by other poets, but who can often be obscure to general readers. Though this in itself is a reductive perspective on Carson's writing. She is a lifelong student of the classics, and now one of the world's foremost professors in Greek classical studies. Carson's poetry possesses an ornate use of language, a real gilded beauty. On top of that, it is paradoxically, despite its classical subject matter, incredibly modern. Carson has an ability to infuse the oldest of stories with the most relevant of contemporary details. Upon first readings, these juxtaposed poems can be a little daunting but soon come to represent an insightful interpretation of ancient and often inaccessible worlds. This poem is a prime example of that. Anyone raised in the Christian faith is at least passingly familiar with the crucifixion of Christ. Those who paid a little more attention know he was pierced in the side by a spear. But those who might have spent time digging in the footnotes of biblical history know that the man who did that was called Longinus. Although that may not be strictly true. There is no mention of the soldier's name in the Gospels proper or the Gospels official. We get this name from the apocryphal Gospel of Nicodemus, not considered canon in the Christian faith. In the story of his life after the crucifixions, 
and his actions during it, it is said that Longjin has suffered a tragic punishment. He was trapped in a cave, where day after day he would fight a lion, naturally losing and being mauled in the process. Each night he would heal and would be forced to do battle all over again when the dawn came. This Sisyphean punishment mimics that of Prometheus from Greek mythology, with two notable exceptions. Firstly, for Prometheus, it was an eagle that ate his liver daily. Secondly, Prometheus was bound and unable to fight back. Longinus wrestled with the lion over and over again, being fully capable of fighting back, but the fact of it being a lion making that a rather impotent action. I believe that Anne Carson has taken that physical story of the line to be a metaphorical wrestling with demons and works to translate that into this poem. The life of the man who crucified Christ is never given much thought, but here, in this poem, the toll his actions took on him are laid bare. It is very clear from the first section of the poem. Of the soldier who put a spear through Christ's side on the cross, and by some accounts broke his legs, whose name was Longinus. It is said that after he had trouble sleeping and fell into a hard mood, drifted out of the army and came west as far as Provincia, was a body's carbon, not simply carbon. Anne Carson's tone here from the beginning reads almost like a footnote, mimicking the character's obscure portrayal in history of the soldier who put a spear through Christ's side on the cross. The calm way in which the speaker describes this violent action and the even more brutal action of breaking someone's legs seems almost softened by this detached academic tone. That detachment goes a step further when the arguably more brutal action of hobbling somebody is placed in parentheses as though it were an afterthought. The reason for this detached tone becomes clear later as Carson begins to add more and more humanity to the soldier's actions. That first line is the longest of the poem. From there, they shorten themselves again and again seeming to almost run out of steam by the end. I think that throughout the poem, Carson attempts to mimic the physical actions of someone who is shadowboxing. There is a flurry of movement and energy at the beginning, which slowly wears itself out over and over. We could also see it as the slow and steady overwhelming of Longinus by his own doubts. We can see from the poem that he is full of them. They seem to cause the soldier a great deal of hassle, trouble sleeping, hard mood, and a listlessness that eventually leads him to Provincia. We might be forgiven for thinking, in light of his actions towards the supposed Son of God, that this was some kind of divine punishment. To me, the cause is much more human. Each of these things is a sign of a guilty conscience. Carson's own thoughts on organized religion back this reading. When asked about her idea of God in an interview, she responded, 
I don't have an idea of it anymore at all. Maybe I once did. At least an idea of unknowability as a divine atmosphere. But I don't even know that that's solid in me anymore. Her own notions of mutability around faith explain the inclusion of apocryphal texts like the Gospel of Nicodemus. The feelings of guilt felt by Longinus make him instantly more relatable to us. Struggling to come to terms with something we regret is a common human experience. In his case, it is an act of violence that he is grappling with. There is no kind of divine judgment here. The thing that is plaguing him is trauma. We notice that the structures that Longinus may have built his identity around. The army, a soldier's duty, acts of violence, hold no value anymore. Despite these modern human emotions, Anne Carson's love of antiquity remains in the lines as she weaves details from Longinus's actual tale into her new contemporary take. Drifted out of the army and came west as far as Provincia. That loss of purpose, the rudderless existence he now finds himself, is underlined in words like drifted. That first section ends with a kind of desperate self-reasoning, one that I've taken to be Longinus rationalizing his actions. Was a body's carbon not simply carbon? This is a question without its question mark. It is one of the only glimpses of Longinus's inner dialogue. He is plagued by the notion that he has committed a great sin, and the guilt is maddening. He is wondering if his actions are going to constitute some kind of spiritual judgment. More than that, is there a price to be paid after death for taking a life? He is trying to convince himself of the opposite. Carbon is just carbon. Matter is just matter. From here, Carson moves from a clear internal conflict to a show and don't tell style of poetry detailing Longinus's actions in a physical sense. Jab, hook jab, slight shift and we catch him in a moment of expansion and catastrophe. White arms sporting strangely in a void. Uppercut, jab, jab, hook jab. Don't want to bore you. My troubles, jab, jab. Punch, hook, jab. Was a face not all still as Jew in April, hook, jab, jab. Here, Carson's mastery of technique is showcased, creating a very contemporary second section. It also shows the poet's penchant for anachronism, adding disingenuous modern moments to historic events, causing a jarring experience for the reader. Here, we as readers are surprised to be transported almost ringside to a boxing match of one. This description of boxing is something that we may not associate with a biblical narrative. This anachronism is something that Carson has always used to make sure that modern audiences can access ancient texts. It has drawn praise and criticism in equal measure. In discussing her use of it and other people's reaction to it, Carson has said, I have cast my net rather wide 
and have mingled evidence from different periods of time and different forms of cultural expression in a way that reviewers of my work like to dismiss as ethnographic naivete. I think there is a place for naivete in ethnography, at the very least as an irritant. I think employing that anachronism as an irritant is what makes the reader pay a little more attention in the second section. As mentioned at the beginning of the episode, here the poem shortens line by line, imagery coming in rapid, repetitive succession. The verbs jab and hook are employed to create an informal rhythm that directly mimics the action being described. Shadowboxing is literally being linguistically laid down. Carson departs completely from the classical lion-fighting longinus, making use of her irritant and instead shows us a man locked in combat with his own shadow, in other words, locked in combat with himself. The notion of divine or mystical punishment is sidestepped once more in favour of a much more physical wrestling with your own conscience. The poet is crafting a poem that subtly investigates the ways in which men deal with their trauma, which seems to be almost not at all. The frenetic pace of the verse here is transformed to a stream of consciousness and movement. The absurdity and impotence of this self-punishment is highlighted in the lines, slight shift as we catch him in a moment of expansion and catastrophe, white arms sporting strangely in a void. Boxing is a visceral, powerful sport, but slowed down here, it becomes absurd. A near perfect image of Longinus's torn self. That moment of expansion and catastrophe is turmoil. The white arms in the void make it clear that the former soldier has no real power over his guilt. Carson very subtly hints at a possible solution. Throughout the poem, Longinus has been completely solitary, each and every action taken alone. With two simple lines, Carson confirms why the soldier has done this. Don't want to bore you, my troubles, jab. It is an incomplete thought, rattled off between punches as though reading from a script. Carson is drawing attention to the withdrawn way men deal with uncomfortable emotions. He repeats the dull dead mantras of men before him, in between an impotent form of violence. He will not seek comfort, he will not seek help. It is tragedy itself. The lines grow shorter while the blows increase, adding to the sense of frustration coming from Longinus. The more he retreats, the more he leans on aggression, until the shadowboxing is interrupted by another anachronism was a face not all still as Jew in April. Carson is quoting and reworking a lyric from a rather famous Middle English poem from the 14th century. I sing of a maiden. The song itself has an anonymous author and seems to exist to celebrate the immaculate nature of Christ's conception. The stillness in the original lyric is a reference to the calm that came upon Mary during Christ's birth 
and the calm that it brought into the world with it. Carson subtly changes the lyrics here, and in doing so, removes any such Christian fantasy. The choice of the word was to start her Middle English lyric reflects the earlier line on carbon being simply carbon. It creates a mini refrain. In mimicking that line, it mimics its tone, one of doubt and uncertainty. Was the birth of Christ so calm? Here, I think, Longinus hopes that Jesus would take his death with the same calm and stoic quality and forgiveness as was present at his birth. But the doubt he feels eats away at this optimism. He has caused pain in another and now seeks a way to find forgiveness and atonement for that. But instead of confronting his own internal emotions, he continues to seek a physical solution, a violent resolution. And so is forced to continue his relentless shadow boxing. Hook, jab, jab. The entire collection of men in the off hours is Anne Carson's musings and observations on men as a whole. It's important to note that there doesn't seem to be an agenda to the poems contained within the collection. Carson is merely laying out what she sees and allows the reader time to draw their own conclusions. Here, men and the violence they cause is examined. Toxic masculinity is given its own biblical parable. Relegating it to a simple religious text, however, is a waste. Carson uses this brief poem to explore something that I think a lot of men experience. An inability to work through the more difficult emotions and a lack of emotional intelligence that imprisons them within them. Carson passes no judgment on Longinus, at least not in an overt way. She lays out what this man is going through. He is plagued by the actions of the past, which are admittedly horrific, but there is no Old Testament punishment, no moral quality, no ferocious line. Only a man's relentless conscience and an inability to seek help. We are left to imagine Longinus relentlessly pursuing some kind of atonement, only to never find it. A quality that Carson has perhaps seen in contemporary men. What did you think of the poem? I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation, and as such, very much up for debate. If you enjoyed the poem and would like to get in touch, there are links below to find me. If you've been enjoying the episodes, please leave me a review wherever you listen. It really does help me out. And if you know someone who would enjoy this episode, please send it to them directly. This week's episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music in this week's episode used under license. You can find a link to their work in the description. Join me for the second part of this special on Anne Carson next week, where we'll be taking a look at her poem, Hockey Sire.